I'm Sasha Rosen. You're listening to Or It Didn't Happen. In this series, we're talking all about the live fiction nights around Sydney. The smaller scene that's orbiting around the bigger scenes of non-fiction narrative nights and, and all the different scenes in poetry here in Sydney. Last week, we heard all about Parramatta's studio stories. Next week, we're going to dip into visual storytelling with Read to Me, but this week, we're going to meet Little Fictions, an ongoing story night often run out of Knox Street Bar in Chippendale in Sydney's Inner West. Little Fictions is kind of the stage arm of Sydney indie press Spineless Wonders, which was founded by Bronwyn Meehan, who's here in the studio. Little Fictions draws its stories from Spineless Wonders' publishing back catalogue and then gets actors to read the stories out. Hi, Bronwyn. Hi, Sasha. Why did you decide that your publishing house needed to get its stories on stage as opposed to, to say, the screen or just in a book? It's funny because I think that there is an appetite for being read to. I think we remember being read to when we were kids, but to be read to by a person for whom it is a craft, even an art, is a wonderful thing, to have an actor reading to you and To have that happen as an adult is a really special thing. And to be sitting with other adults, listening as somebody really talented performs a story for you, to look around the room and to see other people. You know, they've got their wine in front of them, they've got their friends there. It's a weeknight in Sydney, but they're transfixed by this person on stage with nothing more than a microphone and a page in front of them that they're reading from. I think that's pretty special. And the authors usually like the reading? Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's usually only Sydney authors that get to come to the show just because of the practicality of it. Although, I have to say, I've had authors arrive from Canberra and as far away as Melbourne. Sometimes an author will say, you know, it's not how I expected it to be. It's not the way that I... Yeah, I would read it myself, but still would feel that it was an okay thing. I guess the thing is that it's a performance of the work. The work itself, the text will remain, and you could have the same story performed by different actors at Little Fictions on different nights, and there would be differences. So the first story we're going to hear is... We're about to hear After School, which is written by Shady Cosgrove and performed by Eleni Schumacher. Shady is a writer from Wollongong and an academic at University of Wollongong. I've spoken to her about this story because I was wondering about the gender of the characters and she told me that she specifically wrote it, that the narrator could be either male or female and we've performed it in those two permutations. You've also had it performed by a man? That's right, Alex Williams read it. It was terrific both times. So we're going to start with a microfiction, which is some of the very short stories that you guys do. And we're going to go straight into a longer story. Which is Shady Oaks, written and performed by John Steiner. And there's a content warning for both these stories. The first one talks about the details of getting it on, and the second one has rude words, including one we are actually going to beep for you. I was having sex for the first time in my life. Isabel's parents were working late and we were in her room, this crazy attic triangle with a window that looked straight into the forest. From her bed, I had this straight view of her walls, all layered with anti-globalisation posters and ticket stubs and notes like she was giving the finger to her neat freak parents. Every bit of space was covered. She unbuckled my belt 
Her arm caught in her shirt and she made a face which got us both laughing. The whole thing made me think of my little brother Felix who loved to strip off his shirt inside out so its round collar circled his forehead and the body of the shirt trailed behind him like a wig. Isabel was unclasping her bra and I was still thinking of my little brother. And in a moment like that, you don't want to be thinking of your little brother, how he was playing soccer at home, how home felt so much further away than a 15-minute bus ride. So when Isabel's mouth landed on mine, I was grateful to be brought back. Her body was so immediate, so available. Whatever happened, I was ready. I'd been waiting for this. You okay? she asked, and I was thankful one of us knew what we were doing. I nodded. The mattress was a raft. She pulled me to the middle and rolled on top of me. Her breasts were small and rounded with pale nipples. She drew my hands towards them so I could cup them in my palms. How could anyone mow the lawn? I wondered. How, how could you go grocery shopping or wait in line at the canteen when you could be doing this. The very old man slowly made his way down the hallway. He began each step by carefully nudging his walker a short distance ahead of him. He then slid his right foot forward and gradually transferred his weight onto the walker's frame, then pulled his left foot in under him and shifted his weight back onto it. In this laborious manner, he proceeded past a succession of open doors, the engraved plastic nameplates on the wall beside them identifying the residents of each room. Crystal, Brittany, Brandon, Josh, Zach, Courtney, Tiffany, Brent, Nick, Danielle. At last he reached his destination, Chad. He maneuvered his way into Chad's room and found Chad sitting on his bed, staring vacantly out the window. Chad only had a few wisps of snow-white hair left atop his spotted head, and it stuck out rather comically in all directions. Wrinkled flesh hung from his bony arms, a mass of discolored skin, all that remained of what had once been some pretty badass Japanese warrior sleeve tats. <laughs> Yo, man, what up? said the very old man from the doorway, then had a brief but intense coughing fit. Chad, startled out of his reverie, turned to stare at his visitor, his jaw slack as he blinked in confusion for a moment. Then he grinned. Hey, Kyle, dude, he said in a raspy voice. What's happening? Kyle made his way to the armchair beside Chad's bed, slid his walker to one side, and very carefully lowered himself down. Just saw on Facebook, he said, another one of my homies ate it. This guy Evan played drums in a couple of bands I was in. Shit, bro, that's lame. Sorry to hear that, said Chad. He adjusted the oxygen tube in his nose. Kyle absentmindedly fingered the long, dangling loop of flesh that hung from his earlobe, a remnant from where his ear gauge had once been. Like probably more than half my Facebook friends are dead, man, he said. It's fucking weird. Well, Facebook is for old people, said Chad, 
Ask any of the nurses here if they're on Facebook, they'll laugh at you. True that. You seen the dinner menu yet? Asked Kyle. Yeah, chicken cordon bleu. Oh, sweet. A rhythmic clunking sound from the hallway had been getting steadily louder, and now a tiny stooped woman with a quad cane appeared in the doorway. Her bright red lipstick stood in stark contrast to the almost translucent skin of her face. She waved a liver-spotted hand. Hey, homos, she croaked. Amber, said Chad. What's up, bitch? Kyle twisted himself around in the armchair. Back from St. John's, he said. How's the new knee? Well, I'm walking right, said Amber. She worked her jaw wildly for a moment. Damn dentures. Come here, sit down, said Chad, moving his legs aside to make some room on the bed. Well, aren't you the gentleman, said Amber. She crossed to the bed, then, with great care, got herself seated. Her cargo pants slid off her skeletal hips enough to reveal a faded and blurry tattoo of a butterfly surrounded by scrolls and flowers on her lower back. A tramp stamp, they used to call it, just above her adult diaper. (laughs) Dude, the food in that hospital sucks ass, she said. Chicken cordon bleu here tonight, said Kyle. Sweet, said Amber. So what's been happening while I've been gone? Not much, said Chad. Well, actually, Danny had a stroke. (laughs) Shit, he okay? Nah, he's pretty fucked up. Oh, lame. I should go visit him. Yeah. Hey, I saw this cool thing in the news, said Kyle. They've restored an old McDonald's. A little freestanding building like they used to be, remember? Somehow there was an old abandoned one still left out in the burbs somewhere. And so now they fixed it up. We should go check it out. Cool. Do they serve food? Asked Chad. Nah, it's just a museum. The Historical Society did it. (laughs) What's the point then? A cheerful young Indian nurse barreled into the room pushing a trolley. Oh, she exclaimed. The gang's all here. Hey, Grace, said Chad, Kyle, and Amber. How's everyone doing this morning? asked Grace. Pretty good, said Amber. Fine, said Kyle. Fantastic, said Grace. Hey, so are any of you guys going to the lunchtime concert today? I don't know, said Kyle. What's on? Well, we've got a band coming that will be playing that old-time music that you like, said Grace. The grunge and the metal and that sort of thing in the lilac room at 11.30. Amber, Kyle, and Chad looked at each other inquiringly and then all nodded slightly. Yeah, yeah, that could be cool, said Chad. Yeah, we might go, said Amber. Grace examined the labels on some containers and doled out Chad, Kyle, and Amber's medication. They all swallowed the pills. Grace went to the window. Nice out today, she remarked. Chad rolled his eyes. It's never nice out anymore, he said. You do know that the sky used to be blue, right? Yes, said Grace, of course. But a yellow sky is all I've ever known, so to me, it's a nice day. It was nicer with a blue sky, said Chad. Annoyance flickered across Grace's face, then she brightened up again. Okay, I'll be back later this morning to check on you, she said, and pushed her trolley back out the door. God, she's a said Chad when Grace was out of earshot. What's your fucking problem with her, asked Amber. She's a sweetie. She's such a phony. Well, what do you expect, dealing with us old fucks all day? She's actually kind of hot, said Kyle. I'd totally do her. Amber and Chad laughed. All right, well, I'm going to go visit poor Danny, said Amber, and began getting to her feet. 
I'll come with, said Kyle, and started pulling himself up out of his armchair. You coming, bro? Nah, said Chad. Guy's a vegetable. He won't even know you're there. What's the point? Dude, what is up with you? Asked Amber. I don't know, man. I'm just sick of sitting around waiting to die. What's the fucking point, you know? This shit sucks donkey dicks. Well, yeah, it does, said Amber. What else are you going to do? Come on, said Kyle. Get your ass off that bed and let's go do something. Thank you. So <laughs> that last story by John Steiner, that's unusual to have one of your authors reading their own story. Yes, it is. But as you can see, he's really, really good at it. He's an experienced performer. John is an author, but that's not his day job, is it? No, he actually works at ABC in the archives there. And he's also been a performer in bands and he's a filmmaker. And I think you see a lot of those multi-skills coming out in, in that performance. Those voices, wasn't he terrific? One of the reasons why he's now a published author with Spineless Wonders because he writes and performs his stuff really well. So now we're going to listen to I Don't Use My Powers for Good, which was written by Ruth Wire and performed by Eleni Schumacher. After that, we'll hear Mutants and Missionaries, which is written by Kate Walter and performed by Kate Fraser. I was 24 when I first stopped time. It was sheer anger that brought it on. Stuck in a roasting tin can, sardined between commuters clipping their nails, shouting into their phones and blaring music from cheap earphones that sucked in all the bass but left the tiny, tinny treble and crappy lyrics to bore holes in my skull. I don't use my powers for good. Why should I? We're each on our own in this world, never more so than now. When I stop time, I take the mobile phones from the shouters on the trains. I smash them against the handrails and place the phones back in their hands. I take the scissors from the nail cutters and use them to snip the earphone cords of music blarers. Sometimes I cut the ponytails or fringes of their owners just because I can. No one suspects me. When I restart time, I'm feigning sleep against the grimy windows, swallowing the rising fear of the person I'm becoming and of how these missing seconds must come back at some point, vengeful and unstoppable, to engulf us all. In the seconds before the machete blade severs my slim right wrist, I think Iggy was wrong. I can't stay whole in a city of mutants and missionaries. Earlier, I wake in the basement in the dark and reach out to touch my brother Yaren sleeping next to me. My hand lifts, then falls softly onto the cold, damp sheet. The moisture that drips from my ceiling to the slimy sandstone floor smells sulfurous. Grey light peeks through the grime on the only window, a single pane of perspex marginally above the waterline. During a storm, I sleep in my dinghy. I've been alone for a decade of my 15 years. 
Yaren left just two years after the wave consumed the city and then sucked back, taking our parents with it. I don't remember the before time when this place was called Sydney. Pushing away the tattered oily blanket, I dress myself in clothes that hide my intact frame, my unblemished skin, the venerated flesh that is my curse. I skate the rooftops on a labyrinth of paths and bridges fashioned from debris and liberated building materials. You can cross Opera City this way, from building to building over the choppy, dirty canals below. It's to avoid the missionaries. There's one on every pontoon, each vying to attract the vulnerable. Those who have been driven mad with grief. Those who have lost more than me. They are many and growing. The market is full despite the early hour. People jostle for position to secure a meagre bunch of pale green seaweed. There's nothing else. Their skin is knotted and scarred. Their sallow eyes shot with blood. The limbs they have left are mutilated and mangled. At the side of the market, a hawker trades semi-smart prosthetics made from discarded dishwasher parts. Their electronics crackle and fuse in the red fog. I veer away and pull my hood down over my brow. Ten minutes in, I see it. A trader is harangued by a man whose face looks like it has melted in the sun. His skin hangs in heavy jowls from his jaw, the red of his inner eyelids slack and infested with maggots. They're arguing over the cost of the swamp tobacco that's now unattended. I sidle in close and reach. A metal claw clamps around my right wrist. I try not to resist, but it hurts. My captor is a woman, a trader from the next stall. Her nose is a cavernous hole. I can hear the air whistle through it deep into her lungs. She smells like rot. What are you up to? Her voice thick like a clogged drain. I pull away. My hood drops back. Shocked, she drops my wrist and hisses, crossing her chest with her claw. She says only one word. Hole. The crowd is silenced, caught by surprise. Then they press against me, jostling for a look. Their cries ripple from urgent whispers to incredulous wails that combine to a chant. Hole. 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 I shove my way to the edge of the market, pressing through my panic against the flesh and fake limbs that are craving to touch me. Iggy sucks gratefully from a joint dangling from his fat bottom lip, the paper soggy with saliva. I can't stand the stuff. The mustard yellow smoke smells like possum crap. Don't mention it, I say. He looks at me, the jowls on his mangled face quivering. We're sitting high on the bridge, our legs dangling into space and skateboards wedged safely behind us. The wind buffets us in strong, short gusts. He raises his hand in protest, his two fingers stiff and scabby. You're crazy. I've made up my mind, I say. I won't let you, Iggy says. That's the thing. I shrug. It's not your decision to make. I know that Iggy holds sway over the mutants who occupy the old opera house. And he owes me. I stand and grab my board. Tell them I'll give them anything they want, I say. 
He nods, watching as I climb down to my dinghy below. We're inside the concert hall on a mezzanine before a giant organ. Wind whirls into its pipes like whale song. My heart quickens. A fire burns in an ancient petrol can, a baby bat skewered above. Its singed fur smells like kerosene. Grey water whirlpools in the auditorium below, thick with trash and debris from the surrounding sea. The building creaks as waves break against the outer walls. I'm stretched over a dais, staring up at the thousands of dried body parts that are strung from the ceiling above me. A man with a glass eye and breath-like feces pins me down with one hand and raises his machete with the other. The pain is exquisite. If people are interested in going to see Little Fictions, what are your plans for 2018? At the moment, we're certainly planning to have a show to celebrate the Lunar New Year. So that's the reason why we've got a call out at the moment for Year of the Dog stories, because next year is the Year of the Dog. This is as we record, that particular call out might be closed by the time people are listening, but do you regularly do call outs? Yes, absolutely. We're always asking for... And often it'll just be open-themed and then I'll select some of the stories that come in to fit in with the theme shows that we program. If anybody wanted to find out about what was being called out for the moment, just check the Spineless Wonders website. On the website, there's a whole section devoted to Little Fictions where you'll find out when the next Little Fictions is coming up, but also if we've got a call out on. The URL is shortaustralianstories.com.au. And we'll put a link up to that in the show notes and the podcast notes. The other show we've got planned for next year will happen during Mardi Gras, and it's a return performance of I Heart LGBTQI, which is where we programmed After School, read by Eleni Schumacher. <laughs> Bronwyn, thanks for talking to us today and telling us all about Little Fictions. We'll put links to Little Fictions' Facebook page at fbiradio.com slash or it didn't happen. That's all one word, no punctuation. If you like this show, there are a lot more great FBI podcasts at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Show Art is by Annie Hamilton. Origin Happen is produced by me. I'm Zasha Rosen. Thanks for listening. Next week, read to me.